Welcome back to Conversations with Coco and Friends. I'm your host, Coco, aka Katrina Smart. Every episode, I'll be having real conversations with the people who inspire me. We go deep and we go there. And I've got my girls with me. This podcast is co-hosted by two of my friends who I happen to also work with. Cleo is a kick-ass producer and a problem solver. And Pilar is an insane director and social media manager. We hope you enjoy these conversations as much as we enjoy having them. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm incredibly excited to share today's episode with you. We had the opportunity to chat with Megan Watson, a psychotherapist, writer, consultant, business owner, and content creator. As we got to talking, what I became most intrigued by was her true sense of honesty. Many times in the therapy space, things can feel forced or contrived, but Megan doesn't aim to put things in a pretty bow, but rather gets real and there's nothing more refreshing than that. Listen for tips on how to find the right therapist for you and learn about things like body regulation and why Megan makes time to just be silly. So very nice to meet you. It's nice to see you. I wish we were doing this in person, but thank God for technology because we still get to talk to you. Let's kick it off with how you got into this field. Take us back, like back, back to the beginning. Did you always want to be a psychotherapist, a writer, and a content creator? Or was it just one field that you, did you really want to be a psychotherapist? Give us a breakdown. Um, well, thanks for having me. It's really good to meet all of you as well. I definitely, you know, when I was a kid, kid, like probably under 10, I didn't know that I wanted to be a psychotherapist <laughs> and a writer. Um, I, you know, had aspirations to be a vet and I think I wanted to be an interior designer and, you know, like fun things that you talk about in the schoolyard. But as I reached probably about 11 or 12, I had this period of my life where I was just, I, I guess I could call it, I was in turmoil, <laughs> internal turmoil. I was a pretty anxious preteen and teenager, really moody. My parents had no idea what to do with me and kind of just said, okay, well, go, go to your room, read, figure it out. And that's when I started writing. I would write poems and short stories. And I remember writing something down. It's in an old journal of mine, and I'm sure I could find it if I went back to Barbados to find it. But it said, you know, I don't want anyone else to feel like this. And I remember reading that probably in grade 11 or 12 and being like, wow, it's been a long time <laughs> that I really wanted to help people and to demonstrate that there is a way out of feeling anxious and overwhelmed and depressed, um, even if you are just a kid. Uh, so I think as a teenager, I was really focused on trying to be a helper and a supporter. And I kind of just 
carved my career path as a psychotherapist from probably that time until today. So that's what got me into psychology in my undergrad. That's what got me into working in research. I actually used to work as um, a social psych lab manager. I thought I would do a PhD in experimental psych. Um, I was working with Aboriginal and Indigenous communities. Um, I was working really around, you know, intergroup relations, how people interact with each other, group dynamics, very like Stanford prison experiment type of <laughs> um, experiments. And I found that it just left me really disconnected from the people that I was talking to because you know, when you're a lab manager, you're working with undergrads and in social psych research, you have to lie to people. You have to use a lot of deception in order to get the results that you need. And so I would set up this whole experiment and then I would kind of deceive them. And then afterwards we have to debrief and say like, Hey, by the way, <laughs> the experiment you thought you were doing is not the experiment that we're actually doing. And here's why. And, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so I, I felt like that was really disconnecting because a lot of the times I would get varying responses to that. And people would ask me questions about like, what do I do with this? And, you know, this research, where, where does it go? And I didn't have the answers. So I decided to move into therapy and counseling because I figured it would be a way for me to connect on a deeper level um, to really understand the human person um, and feel like I was making a difference, not just from a research perspective and, and gathering knowledge and, and data, but also actually applying it um, in a clinical way. So that's kind of what got me to therapy. I feel like I have a very roundabout story. That's okay. <laughs> it's incredibly long. Stories. I think every roundabout story, so don't worry. Nothing is a complete, perfect trajectory. And that's why we ask the question. I'd love to hear it. What exactly, could you explain for our listeners, I guess, what, is there a difference in type of therapist? Like you're a psychotherapist, which I'm not sure if that's specific or different from other therapists, like a cognitive behavioral therapist, or, you know, is there some kind of difference that you can explain to us? Yeah. Absolutely. So psychotherapy is a pretty broad term and it's usually a way to define the act itself, like the process itself of therapy. So some therapists are trained in specific modalities like cognitive behavioral therapy or dialectical behavioral therapy or emotion focused therapy, for example. And so they can call themselves if they're certified and they have, um, the credentials and additional credentials in those areas to call themselves like cognitive behavioral therapists, for example, but they're still a psychotherapist or a uh, mental health therapist as a broad kind of umbrella term to, to catch all. The main difference I think that a lot of people ask me is what's the difference between a psychotherapist and a psychologist? And a psychotherapist is someone who's done in total probably six years of training, uh, bachelor's and master's, um, to become a registered and licensed therapist. Um, and often they may have some experience in research. They may um, have done some sort of additional kind of knowledge gaining or knowledge sharing pieces to their degree. But most of the time they will do an internship and a practicum and gain thousands of hours in order to be registered in the jurisdiction or the area that they are in. And psychologists have probably a total of 14 years or you know, 13 to 14 years of experience because they have to do a PhD on top of their master's. So that's an additional um, five or six years, including their internship year. Um, and they're pretty specialized in a particular field. So psychologists can't just see 
anyone. Whereas a psychotherapist can see adults, maybe children, if they have some experience in that. But a psychologist has a lot more limitations to their license in that if you've been doing your research and you've done your internship in child psychology, you can't just turn around and start seeing adults. So there's some limitations and there's some benefits. Psychology, at least here in Canada, can diagnose with mental health disorders, um, whereas psychotherapists cannot. So it really depends on what you do um, or what you need. But both of us, both fields, do the act of psychotherapy with different modalities. Like can one give medication and the other one not? No, that's psychiatrists. <laughs> it's actually quite confusing. <laughs> Psychiatrists are medical doctors that then do a residency and training in psychopharm and psychotropic medications. So they can prescribe medications along with your general practitioner. So that's why, at least here in Canada, most people, if they are prescribed um, medications for their mental health issues, they might get it from their GP because their GP can diagnose, as well as if they are connected with a psychiatrist, they might get it from a psychiatrist as well. But Although psychologists can diagnose, they can't prescribe any medication um, because that is, again, another protected act um, to protect consumers from you know, being around people who maybe don't know enough about <laughs> psychopharm and, and the human body. Thank you for clarifying that. We just all learned something new. <laughs> um, Megan, for our listeners who aren't familiar with you, we love that you focus on all the good stuff. So emotion management life transitions, relationship, and food body image issues. But our favorite part about you as an individual and you and your practice is that you take this approach from an anti-oppressive, radical self-compassion and body liberation lens. And we find it really interesting because all of this has really come to the forefront, especially over this past year. So how did you not only get your clients through this past year, but yourself? How has it been different from the past, I guess? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I think in March of 2020, felt like, you know, like many others, my life just went upside down overnight. The way that I normally work, which is greeting clients in my office and, and sitting with them, holding space in this very intimate, personal way, just immediately shifted into a virtual reality. And so I think most of us at that time in the beginning were, were pretty genial, <laughs> you know, we were like, all right, let's shoulder our way through it. You know, we'll, we'll get, we'll get there. Um, but I think the way that therapy has kind of evolved over the last year for me is that um, it takes a lot more effort to develop intimacy and to kind of frame a therapeutic space for people. A lot of the time we're working with parents, we're working with college students, we're working with people who have roommates and, you know, life is kind of happening um, around you. It's not like we can go off into a cozy nook and have like this amazing therapeutic space where like I have my aromatherapy going, like the lights are dim. I might offer you a cup of tea, you know, we really set the mood when it comes to, to therapy, but now you might have like all these kids and, and children, yours and maybe other family members running around, they're screaming, there's like, okay, well, you know, I get all these Slack notifications, like work's calling me, there's all these interruptions um, that prevent it from feeling like maybe this is a space just for you. And so I think one of the ways that I've empowered my clients to get through this time is to recognize one, this isn't going to be a perfect process. And two, let's 
try to not make the situation fit into a reality that isn't realistic for us. So if you need time and space and the only time you can do that is when you're on a walk, go on that walk. Talk to me on the phone. (laughs) Get in your car. (laughs) I literally had a session with someone. She's driving back from the US and she's like, I'm crossing the border. Can we talk over the phone? (laughs) I was like, absolutely. And so I really encourage people to be flexible. And I think that's given many people a little bit of breathing room to show up. Um, as themselves without having to feel like they need to shrink or to change or to make things exactly right in order to do that, the healing work um, that they come there to do. Absolutely. How did you find your own breathing room? That one, I'm still figuring out. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta be honest. (laughs) Um, I moved in the pandemic. I was living in a apartment that had like an extra room, but because I had an office outside of my house, it wasn't something that I had really set up to be an office. Um, And then a week before the pandemic started, a good friend of mine got her PR, um, her permanent residency, and she was planning to live with us for a little while until she got an apartment. And the week before everything shut down, we were like rushing to get her to service Ontario and to all these different places so that she could settle in. And she ended up staying with us for a lot longer than we anticipated, which was amazing because it's my childhood best friend. Like, that's awesome. But also it just cramped everything. (laughs) And because of the privacy that I needed, that meant that everyone had to be relegated to their separate rooms to work while I had to be in the living room (laughs) too. And that's kind of the living space. So it was really uncomfortable. So I ended up moving and that helped a lot. Wasn't something I was anticipating, but I think to me, my space and environment is really, really important to me. So having a little bit of extra room Um, even though it was an unanticipated expense and, you know, it was a challenge to kind of get that done in the the heat of the pandemic. It was something that made a huge difference for me, but honestly, shout out to my therapist. She's a real one. (laughs) Therapists who go to therapy, we rate that all day. Love it. She is, oh God, I'm going to get emotional thinking about her because she has seen it all. She's seen when I'm frustrated. She's seen when I'm pissed off and I'm sad. Um, My supervisor as well holds a lot of space for me because I think one thing people don't realize about this work is that it's not just emotionally taxing, but we have our own opinions and thoughts too. And, you know, when you're working with someone and they're frustrated with slow progress and you're frustrated with slow progress, it's just really defeating to kind of sit and look at each other and be like, well, okay, (laughs) what do we do with that? (laughs) You know, you've got to be open. You've got to be a trusted space. You have to kind of always be the bigger person and always have the, the more regulated response. And when I use a lot of that for my clients, I notice I didn't have any left for my husband. I didn't have any left for my family. And so even just a voice note or two with my supervisor saying like, I'm just really pissed off today. Um, I'm grateful because the, it's like the idea of like the, the nail tech never has her nails done or the, the hairdresser never has their hair right. The fashion designer is not wearing fashionable clothes. And, and the, the fact that you had the insight to seek therapy yourself and practice what you preach and find people within your toolkit or within your life 
to protect you too. I think it's like a really great um, takeaway for all of those other therapists and helpers out there. Thank you for sharing that like that. Yeah, it's underrated getting that support. I think that was the foundation that ultimately allowed me to make better decisions around, you know, the the concrete things that everyone says you should be doing around this time. Get enough sleep, you know, do your self-care, uh, go on walks, make banana bread, you know, get a plant. <laughs> um, all these things, I think when you're in the heat of an emotional storm, you forget what's available to you. And often what I notice is missing from you know, general self-care advice is this idea that every time you're in an emotional storm, it's not going to feel the same and the intensity is going to be different. And the type of skill you use to process, move through it, deal with it is going to also have to be unique. If you are having a panic attack, my recommendation is not to pick up a journal and write about your feelings. Um, it might be... <laughs> Put your head under the sink <laughs> and take a deep <laughs> breath. <laughs> you know, like I, I find that, that it's just, it misses the mark in terms of like, there are levels of coping skills and there's levels of accessibility and the easiest and the most accessible tool that I use for myself is body-based healing, body-based support. What can I use my senses for to ground me, to connect me to, even if it, means like stepping into the shower with all of your clothes on or, you know, gulping down ice water or holding a cup of hot tea. These things feel small, but they can really put you back into the present. And then once you're stable, you can make a decision about like, okay, what's next? What's interesting about what you just said is actually yesterday I was on Twitter and um, a friend of ours, I guess, social media friend and in real life friend for some, this guy, Brian is weird too. He had, he's talking, he speaks very transparently about his um, issues with anxiety and depression. And I think it's really helpful for people. But he commented, I think, on exactly what you're saying. And he said, his therapist said to him, the next time you're having an anxiety attack or a panic attack, do jumping jacks. And he was like, well, why? And the therapist said back to him, well, because you can't have a panic attack or anxiety attack while doing jumping jacks. So body, I think you said body grounded healing or mm -hmm. body-based healing. Body-based so, healing, yeah. Body-based healing. And that's, that's unique because I don't think we hear that. You're right. We don't hear that often. Everyone's like, take a breath, take a breather, go for a walk. And sometimes like you need to put your head in a pillow and scream your fucking head off because it's just yep. what you need to do. And it's okay. It's also a really good cue for kids. Um, I'm a parent and you're not taught. I mean, there's books about being a parent, but it doesn't actually translate mm -hmm. in real life. Because any book I've read, I'm like, okay, bye. Like, sorry. <laughs> It's the wrong books, but I just feel like when she, it's like, it's, it's like anything and any job you have, you can be so prepared, but when you're actually doing it, everything kind of changes. And my daughter will pick up things from um, media or from a friend. Um, anxiety is a very big word right now um, that, you know, she all of a sudden says that she, she has anxiety. I'm like, do you like, you know, and then how do you deal with that after she's heard something from a friend or if she's starting to get a little bit um, upset about something to calm her down in the moment the idea that it doesn't have to be like you said okay one could be just calm the fuck down excuse my language um <laughs> so just like fuck, just calm the fuck down but other parents would be like 
now go paint a picture and that might not work for them in the jumping jacks thing or or going into a shower with all your clothes on like sometimes the the answer is not as simple and as calming you know sometimes you want to calm people down and the worst thing when you're in a fight with someone and you feel like screaming and they're like now calm down <laughs> yep. <laughs> and you're just like my that all the time you're like i'm gonna kill you i'm not mad at all why are you so frustrated i'm just i'm going on a tangent harlow harlow said last night that she was having um, an anxiety attack and i was like are you because you seem pretty calm but we went through a breathing exercise and then she was better you know, and I have no idea whether I came up with that, but <laughs> that's amazing. I think there's a lot of um, shame that's associated with making accommodations and adjustments to regulating yourself, whether that's shame for regulating yourself or whether that's shame around like this is a very non-typical way to regulate my child. Um there's just a lot of internal judgment about like, well, it, this doesn't feel like this is what should be happening. And so I want to have the best possible way of regulating instead of thinking about, you know, what works for me and what matters to me. And so, you know, I, I love, I love this conversation because it's one of the first myths that I debunk with clients is, okay, well, how are you coping? What are you doing right now to um, get through the day? And I think they're anticipating that I will like judge them or challenge them or say like, oh, that's not good. You shouldn't be doing that. But most of the time people are really great at regulating themselves and figuring out how to move to the next thing or how to process a feeling and the feeling of shame and um, self-loathing and inadequacy often comes with, well, I'm not doing it right. So I want to appeal to an expert to, to get like, what is the ideal version? But the ideal version is something that might already be in your toolkit, might already be in your toolbox and just needs to be reframed. So that's really powerful and unexpected, I think, because I usually get like, okay, <laughs> I can keep doing this random thing. Yes, absolutely. You think that's one of the reasons that people have a hard time, I mean, asking for help. And, and we all know that therapy in and of itself, while it's come a long way in terms of how we talk about it, you know, publicly, there's still, I think there's still stigma around it. And I think there's still a fear of that and a fear of asking for help. So maybe that kind of contributes to it. Yeah. The shame. I haven't actually thought about it from that perspective, but that's a really good point. You know, when we ask for help, there's a vulnerability in, um, in doing so and acknowledging one that we need help and two appealing to someone that we trust or that we hope we can trust, um, to support us or to guide us into a place where we feel better. And I know a lot of people don't ask for help because they feel like a burden. Um, they feel like if they ask for help that people will say, I don't have time or that, um, you know, it's not valid their, their need. And, you know, that comes from not just trauma, um, and experiences where people have actually disappointed you and let you down and hurt you and, and can't be trusted. But I think it, you're right. I think it also comes from the shame around, um, you know, if I ask for help, then that means I'm, that means I'm admitting that I needed help to begin with. And that means that, help is something that I can't do on my own. There's a lot of uh, conversation out there 
um, that I hear from my clients and, and just, you know, on Twitter and, and social media around being independent, being autonomous, self-reliant, getting your needs met, setting boundaries. And a lot of that is really great advice, but it's without the context of community um, and without the context of care that that is reciprocal and mutual. Um, it doesn't always have to be a solitary pursuit. Love that. That's just like, you're like twisting my mind because it's so, it's like almost intuitive that you would believe that, but there's so much out there that pushes against that. Like pull up your bootstraps, you can figure it out. You have it within you, you know, you don't need anything. And then at the same time, it's like, well, you should have asked for help, but also a lot of people aren't prepared to help because they don't know how. And so that having trauma around um, asking for help and not receiving the help that you were expecting or then having expectations based on asking for help. Ooh, it's so layered. We'll get into more of that later. I let's get back to the. I, I've had a I had a rough time finding a therapist therapist in the beginning. One admitting that I needed it was kind of. Um, I love my parents very much, but it's definitely not something that they were brought up with. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, of therapy and asking for help, you can. It's kind of you keep everything private. I'm Scottish and Jamaican, so. Scottish people typically keep everything very locked up and um, Jamaican people, well, within my family anyways, um, you don't tell people your business and you don't involve them in anything in your life. Um, and so when I finally went for to go and find a therapist, I had a lot of trouble finding a therapist that fit. I gave up and then I would start again. And then finally I found one that I worked with for quite some time, but then also grew out of that person. I've been an advocate for for therapy for so long because it, I've really found having someone that wasn't within your friend group helping you through mm. just navigating life in general, even if you didn't have a traumatic experience like I did. Um, what advice would you give someone who's afraid or, you know, afraid to reach out for help? I guess that's the question. What is the first step? The first step, you know, I think the first step is one, um, realizing that doing things alone isn't always the best way. And then secondly, really allowing the skill and the tool of discernment or I guess pickiness to guide you into finding the right fit. Um, it's incredibly hard to find a therapist. I feel like everyone who says it, you know, it's super easy, get matched. <laughs> yeah, well, there's that. And then the added factor of race, right? Because I know there's a very, very small um, minority of black and brown therapists. So, and especially in Canada. Mm-hmm. So I I mean, I even seeing we we were reading up on you and you're not accepting new. <laughs> like, I'm like, oh my God, maybe I can get a new therapist. And Pilar's like, no, bro, she's booked and <laughs> busy. I've never and I know. So there's that, that piece to that too. Not to interrupt you. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I didn't have a black therapist for a long time. Um, my current therapist is black and she's, like I said, amazing. Michelle Nichols, if you're accepting clients are you, are you, and you listen no. and you're hearing this, 
there are people out here that need you. Um, but I didn't, I didn't have one for a while and it wasn't lost on me. The irony of going through psychology today and looking for the warmest face and best credentials and not even really thinking like, is it even possible for me to find a black therapist? Well, I have to settle for something else. And a lot of people do, they have to settle for something else because it's just not available. Um, finding a therapist is about identity fit as well as it's about relationship because I think each therapist has their own way of showing up to the space and making you feel like you can talk about what it is that's actually going on and as someone who's seen a lot of different therapists that process can be faster or slower depending on how connected you are to that therapist, how safe you are, um, you feel with them, how much you feel like they understand, you know, your lived experiences and maybe what you've been through. And so a lot of people are really afraid to ask therapists personal questions, especially in the consult, um, because they think it's a, a boundary crossing or it's inappropriate to talk about. But I always encourage people in my consults when I was accepting clients to say, you know, what's the one question you want to ask me, but you're afraid to. And if I don't want to answer it, let me say no, allow me the, the grace to set my boundary. But if it is something that I feel comfortable asking, let's talk about it. And normally I get a few different responses to that. <laughs> trepidation and hesitation being like, ah, oh, I wasn't prepared for this. I don't know what to ask you. I don't know um, what to say. And then sometimes just full on going for it um, to say like, okay, well, what was the last playlist you listened to on Spotify? Um, have you ever felt X feeling or have you ever gone through this? And then we'll talk about it. And I think those are the clients um, because for me, fit is also really important because I'm not a good therapist when I feel like we're not vibing, when I feel like we're not connecting. I just don't do my best work. Um, and that's, it's not an ego thing. I can't be everything to everyone. And so I've got to send you on your way to someone who might be the best person for you. Um, so even if they're vibing with me and I'm not vibing with them, I'll be like, well, it doesn't sound like we're right or we're a good fit. And I'll tell you why. Um, here's what's coming up. This feels like out of my scope. I don't normally work with this or, you know, the kind of experiences that you have. Um, I feel like I'm not adequately equipped to deal with it. Um, X, Y, and Z. And I think radical transparency is one of my biggest values when it comes to therapy. And so, you know, my clients will often hear me say like, you don't pay me to lie to you. So I'm going to tell you the truth and whatever that looks like, I'm not going to be mean about it but I will be honest and, and truthful. Um, what do you think about that? And so every therapist will have their own way of developing and building that relationship and making you feel safe. But I think allowing yourself to ask therapist questions and even ones that you're a little bit fearful to ask um, is a great way to, to see how they respond and to see how they hold that space and how they have their own boundaries and what you can learn from them. Um, because ultimately this is going to be a really impactful relationship and what happens in the therapy relationship will also happen outside of the therapy relationship. So you how do you watch out for that? How do you not get discouraged if like when it's seeking therapy and, and you can't seem to find these, these fits? 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I don't know if you cannot get discouraged. I don't want to make it seem like it's not a disappointing experience or it doesn't feel really difficult. And, you know, you might feel down and out that you've gone on maybe a, a couple consults and no one seems right, but you can be discouraged and also still want more for yourself and be hopeful. There's room for both. So if anyone is discouraged or feeling really sad and, and frustrated with the lack of therapists that connect with them, I would say, you know, honor that because that that feeling is something that will propel you into finding the one that's right, rather than spiraling into everything that feels wrong. And you never know, maybe the next one will be it. Honestly, <laughs> I'm up to the top, Megan. <laughs> Send me an email. <laughs> um, I, I find it really interesting about therapists. And like you said, everyone's different, but just this ability to be able to compartmentalize all of the trauma or all of the life experiences that are taking place in your clients' lives. How do you not bring that home with you and let it affect you in your life? Mm, I do bring it home. Yeah. <laughs> I do bring it home. Um, How do you manage it? Honesty for me. Like I yeah. amen. Her transparency. <laughs> you have back one like um you know, those, those quips, and those quotes, and it's always just like, well, it'll get better tomorrow. <laughs> like Radical honesty for me. That's it. Sometimes love- it doesn't. Sometimes you're in a season of like shittiness and it's not getting better. So like right think, now, babe, hello, no. Yep. Fourth- <laughs> yep. I keep, I, I joke about this with my friends, but I'm like, I keep feeling like I'm in an episode of The Office or something. And I'm going to look at the camera and someone's going to be like, ha, this has just been a joke. Still <laughs> <waiting>. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I do bring it home. I, to be perfectly, perfectly honest and, you know, shout out to my husband. He's awesome. Really so phenomenally secure um and untraumatized it's a good fit (laughs) and um I think I I normally just name it I say you know what today has been back to back it's been eight hours of just unbearable trauma 
unimaginable pain to hold. And I don't want to talk to anybody for the next 40 minutes. So I'm going to go upstairs and I'm going to watch TikToks and don't bother me. So (laughs) that (laughs) we are alive. (laughs) Sometimes I stand in the shower for a really long time, just thinking about life and that helps. Sometimes it's, you know, zoning out. I like to, well, before the pandemic, I used to, I live really close to home sense. So I would go to like a home sense or a Marshall's and just wonder. I wouldn't buy anything and just looking at stuff. (laughs) Mosey just kind of zone out. And that was a really great self-care activity for me because although, you know, people may say like, it's great to think about it, reflect, you know, process, That is exhausting. And I've been processing all day. I've been holding space all day. And sometimes I just need to not think for a little while. So that's how I I get through it at times. I I allow myself the space to just, um, I call it like my screensaver mode where like the (laughs) words are bouncing around the screen. I don't have to think about anything. Um, So that helps. Um, I don't know. I, um, I think clients can tell that what they're dealing with is really difficult. And so a lot of them will preemptively apologize or feel upset. And I think, um, I thank them for their attunement to how difficult it is, because I think if they can see how challenging it is for them, then, you know, we can, we can be in that together and it sucks, but at least you're not alone. You know, at least you're not alone. Megan, listen. This this leads into the next question, which we've now talked about two times. So you are not accepting new clients. Now, I think the first part of that is saying congratulations because you've reached a point in your career with where you're so full in terms of what you have on your plate that you can't, you don't need to have any more clients at this point. But how does it make you feel reaching this point in your career and your practice? Like what what do you got? Bittersweet, bittersweet. There was a time in my life where in early in my practice where I would see sometimes 10 people a day. I would not turn anyone away. I would say, yep, I got room. Uh, Let's squeeze in here. And I would take out my lunch break or I would end a lot later or I would start earlier. And it just got, my life just got so full that all I really was doing was I was in back-to-back therapy for hours. I maybe would have like half an hour or 45 minutes to eat while I'm, you know, typing my clinical documentation. I'd go again, back into back-to-back. Then I would, you know, travel, commute from my office back home. I would kind of put some food in, shower and get into bed. (laughs) And that was it. And it was incredibly, incredibly taxing. And I got so burnt out almost to the point where I don't really remember that time in my life very much. The only reason I know what really was going on was because I still have my Google calendar from then. And I was like, oh yeah, I did that thing. Um, That was fun. Um, But I think as I realized that that was not sustainable and I kind of matured in my practice, I asked myself first the question, what can I handle? What can I do on the best of days and on the worst of days? And that was my standard. That was the limit. On the best of days, maybe I have some flexibility to do a little bit more. And I would kind of define what a little bit more would look like. And on the worst of days, there's no wiggle room. It's a non-negotiable. This is 
where I need my space and where I need my time. And as a result, my practice evolved and changed that I had to say no. And I had to to tell people, I'm so sorry, Um, I'm not accepting, but here's who you can connect with. And I did that for a while until I got frustrated with myself because I hear myself sometimes, you know, it sucks to say no. And I never... I never want to be on the receiving end of that. So I wanted to maybe change the conversation a little bit. So that's how I started my practice bloom. And it really just started with like a good friend of mine who is also a therapist saying like, Hey, (laughs) do you want to start doing this together? Maybe like share the load. Um, And then, you know, more people found out about it and um, we kind of built from that. We actually just turned one yesterday. So it was really exciting to be able to see that and to say no and instead of no but. Um, but I think uh, I, I've reached a point in my career where I no longer, I can no longer have the conversation with myself about what more can I take on? I've already got enough on my plate and I had to be okay with myself and I had to be okay with what I could do because my clients stay with me for a while. I have clients that I've seen for like years at this point. And every time I, I maybe say like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to cut down on an hour here. Like maybe I'll only see, like right now I see almost 20 people a week. Um, and I'll say like, okay, well, maybe I'm seeing 17. That's when I'll get the emails. Can you put me on your cancellation list? <laughs> um, I noticed your schedule. Um, is there something wrong with the scheduling system? I keep refreshing. There's no, <laughs> there's no space. And I'm like, that's, that's right. <laughs> that. Unfortunately, there is no space, but here's what I can do. And I try to make it as democratic as possible. First come, first serve. If you want time with me, book it on my schedule. You know where to find me. You know how to get in touch. You know how to message me between session. You know my number. You can text me um, and make sure that we have a, a really good care plan for those who maybe need more support than I can offer. Congratulations on Bloom 21. That's amazing. I know Thanks. being a business owner too is is on top of everything. It's difficult. I always say in my life, there's not really balance, the perfect scale of balance between work and life. But um, how do you feel about balance? And do you, do you try to achieve it? Do you, have you found the perfect balance? Mm, yes and no. Yes. In that I feel good about you know, my caseload, I feel good about my capability to, to be with my clients and to support them. Um, and I, I love to keep learning, love to, to read and to, to grow as a clinician and really offer tools, even if it's just things I find online with my clients. I'm a storyteller in session and I use a lot of metaphors. So I'm always looking for like something interesting to add, um, to the session, but knowing that I mean, I'm still, I'm still in my growing phase, you know, my clients don't know how old I am, (laughs) but let's just say in a couple of weeks, I'll be almost 30 and I'm sorry. I mean, you, you look like uh, you, it's not a look thing. It's just, you are so wise. It's incredible. Oh my God. I don't know how that happened. I was like, okay, so she could really be 21 and actually, but 50, like 50, but looks 21. Like there was, so you'll be almost 30. Yeah. I'll be 29 the end of August. Yes. It is so bizarre to say that. And I don't, I'm not even halfway 
to who I'm supposed to be. So no, I, I feel like right now the balance will will change. I'm I'm in a season of my life where I'm I'm grateful, I'm privileged, I'm I have an abundance of things. I have more than enough than than I need, more than enough um, love and and trust and support. And I I try to not just list what I'm grateful for, but step into felt gratitude for that. Really embody it and and recall those moments where I felt like, oh gosh, yeah, this is actually working out. There's a balance here. But um, to your point. I carry many hats. Um, I'm a business owner. I'm a therapist. I am a dog mom. I'm a wife. I'm a sister. Um, I'm a supervisor. I'm a consultant. I'm a writer. And, you know, all these different role selves that I inhabit are in varying stages of maturity. And I think I'm really excited and a little nervous to see where it takes me in the next couple of years. But at this point in my life, I think I have to go in with an open heart and closed eyes, (laughs) no expectations, just um, trying to be in the moment. There's anything I've learned about the last year is that life is so fragile um, and we just don't know what's going to happen. And as much as possible, I want to make sure that at the end of the day, regardless of where it takes me, I'm at least present enough to experience the joy of, of the moment. So yeah, yes and no. I feel balanced and yet absolutely, completely have no idea what I'm doing. We'll take both. Exactly. <laughs> um, you wearing all of these hats and doing all of these things, are there any resources or practices that could get you through your day-to-day and help you establish a little bit of a routine? Mm-hmm. Um, I have a tool, like a productivity tool that I use a lot. Um, I use time blocking. So instead of writing a to-do list, it goes on my calendar. And if it can't fit on my calendar, then I'm not doing it. So <laughs> it just, our motto. <laughs> it, it is what it is. And so I think it really center. helps me keep in mind, or it helps me value my time more effectively because over a period of time, you might start to realize how long it takes to do a certain task or what actually happens when you're doing an activity. And so I think scheduling everything in my calendar, it might be really anxiety provoking for some if you saw my Google calendar to see that I schedule literally everything in my life, even just small admin tasks. But I do so because I like to keep myself on track and and make sure that I'm utilizing every hour. So that that helps um, a ton. Um, I also think, you know, finding finding a little bit of space to get into. How do I describe this? Like a creative space is what really enriches my life. And I try to push back against that so many times. Like, oh, I don't have time. I don't have time to focus on creativity or excitement, but making room for play and creativity has been one of the most transformative things that I have done in my life. Um, Because someone said this and I never forgot it. It's like children don't just learn as they grow up. Um, As they grow up, they also forget. They forget. And wisdom is also the, the process of remembrance, like remembering what it means to to be, you know, in your body and to play and to be creative and to do something silly and new. 
um, and novel that you haven't tried before. So at least once a month, I try to do something new that is a bit silly or fun or a little zany <laughs> and, and see where that inspires me. And I think that helps a lot. <laughs> um, so since you're not taking new clients, what can somebody, because I mean, you have Bloom. So I think this is like the better thing. I think everyone's going to listen to this and be like, sign me up. So what can somebody expect from a first consultation with somebody at, at Bloom? And even better, what should anybody be looking for? You know, I know we talked about the questions to ask, but in your first consultations with a psychotherapist. Yeah, well, you can expect to, you know, first and foremost, when you reach out to us, um, our intake coordinator will either direct you to take a look at our team members to say like, you know, out of all of them, who are you immediately attracted to and want to work with the most? And they'll connect you with them for a consultation. And that therapist will, you know, go through all the basic stuff, like the investment of therapy, the time, how, how often you want to see each other, um, what kind of therapy you need. Um, would you like psychological services or psychotherapeutic services, that kind of thing. But then, you know, I think the questions that, you know, you should ask are one, how do you feel about insert what you're currently struggling with? Not can you treat this, but how do you feel about it? What is your perspective on this? Because we talk to our friends and we talk to our loved ones all the time about like, well, I'm experiencing this and they can't help us, but we know how they feel on it. And that allows us to experience, you know, that validation, that sensation of being understood. And so getting a new therapist perspective on what they think about that, like having a casual conversation about it can really tell you a lot about what you can expect to talk about with them on that matter. And then the second thing I would probably ask is, you know, what is your availability on an X number of basis? So if you can ahead of time, think about like, do I want to see someone weekly? Do I want to see them every other week? Is this just an as needed thing that I want to set up a strong relationship with a therapist for um, and get their recommendation on what would be the best pace and process for what you're trying to do. And then the third thing that I would recommend um, asking, especially if you're a person of color, um, is, you know, what is your experience and your viewpoint on supporting people through racial trauma, microaggressions, and um, doing anti-oppressive? And if you're satisfied with their answer to that, and you feel like you like them, you know, you're having a good conversation, the pace feels right to you, then you're going to set up an appointment and, you know, it's off to the races with you guys. Um, so that's what you can expect from Bloom and, and what I think you should be asking. Um, yeah. That's beautiful guidance. I know everybody's taking notes. Um, we spoke about Marshall's and home sense for your, what you do um, as acts of self-care, but do you have any other things that you do to take care of yourself again? Um, I listen to a lot of music. Music is my, it's my coming home process. It's what I listen to in the morning to get myself going. It's what I do to kind of relax and, and kind of prepare for the evening. Um, I really like, this is going to make me feel a little bit, uh, <laughs> I'm going to say aged, but I really like like old school jazz and I have a lot of jazz vinyl. So I will put that on and just like sink into the couch 
either with a glass of wine or big cup of water because I'm usually underhydrated <laughs> during the day. And I think for me, one thing that I allow myself to do, especially as someone who's been trained in eating disorders and body image um, work is I eat what I want when I want it, whenever I'm hungry for it. That's and, just so freeing oh. to hear someone say that. I just feel like just that we need a moment of silence for that. Like just like I eat what I want when I want. Beautiful. Yep. Sorry. Yep. No, I literally eat what I want when I want it. Um, yesterday I was like, you know what I really want? I want hints of lime chips and cheese. So I had hint of lime chips and cheese. Yes. I love it. Yes. And I, I was like, you know what? This is great. But I'm going to be hungry later. So let me just add, you know, um, like a handful of nuts. I had like, you know, some greens that were left over. And then I kind of like hodgepodge based on what I'm feeling in terms of texture and taste. And I, I don't really limit myself to saying like, okay, well, you have to have this very planned out meal and organize it. So I think letting go of any judgment at the end of the day of what I'm eating and when, like, you know, leave me alone and let me just eat my peppermint patties in peace okay <laughs> you are allowed to eat now i'm hungry <laughs> <laughs> i want so, hints of lime right now oh, that. they're <laughs> so good they're so um, underrated haven't had those in forever Me neither. yeah i also put a lot of things in my shopping cart and then never buy them Ooh. <laughs> That's self-restraint too. I like it. <laughs> You're just like window shopping online. I like that. Yeah, window shopping online. I, you know, we can go into stores. So I just kind of add things to cart and I'll be like, this would be great. Um, and then I just don't, I don't buy it. Um, uh, I also really like to garden. I have 50 plus plants. Um, wow. In my home. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot of plants. Um, so, you know, sometimes like I'll joke and say like, I'm just going to go touch a leaf, but I will just go touch a leaf, <laughs> observe it, love it, you know, check the soil, um, get a little investigative to be like, Hmm, what do you need? And oftentimes that reminds me of like what I need, right? Like, you know, plants need a watering and be like, okay, time for shower. Um, you know, it'll remind me of my own individual needs. So I do like to connect with nature a lot. Whether that's just, you know, sitting at a park and um, I play a game with my partner where we say like, okay, we play color theory, like follow the color. And so we have to name all the things in a particular color that we see. It's like a mindfulness activity, but it's also really fun because you can get pretty competitive. See who spots the color first. Um, or even just like sitting in the house and, and looking at what we have around us and um, just enjoying it. It's we, like I, I find Yeah. I just, sometimes I buy things and I don't give myself a chance to enjoy it. Like I used to buy a bunch of coloring books. When's the last time I colored? So, you know, pick up a crayon and go to town, things like that. Um, I don't think I have a set routine per se, but it's very reflexive based on what's going on for me. I love that. This has been the most informative therapy conversation I feel like I've ever had. Truly, because it's not like um, it hasn't been like seeped in all the things that you always hear. I, I feel like it was extremely refreshing and exactly what I needed today because I was having a full meltdown before this call. So thank you very much. There's a lot going on. Megan, we appreciate you. So we appreciate you giving us our time. Can you tell our listeners where they can find you online? 
Yes, you can find me on Instagram at thrive underscore with Meg. Um, you can find me on my blog slash newsletter feelings healing on Substack. Um, and you can find me at Bloom, bloompsychologyto.com. Get connected. Even if I can't see you as a therapist, I definitely can help you find one. So don't be afraid to reach out. Oh, and everybody you, just made like a full sigh of relief. All the listeners are like, oh, we can find There's hope. There's hope. Okay, so we'll stop doing jumping jacks with this. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much, Thanks Megan. Thanks again, Megan. My absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Coz, you know what to do. Rate this podcast five stars on Apple and don't forget to follow us on Spotify. You can continue keeping up with our adventure on the gram at Coco and Co. That's C-O-W-E. Now go tell your friends about it. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.